Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. It's, it's just good to be a member of this church. And I'm proud to say that I am. And when people ask me, I'm excited to tell them where I go to church and that the Lord's been good and we're seeing good things, you know. And so I'm just very thankful for the church and the blessing it's been to me. But today we're going to talk about the names of Christ. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Now, there'll be several passages I go to. Some of them you may want to turn to. Some of them I'll just read you. I have, the, I have it in my notes. Some of them I will have on the PowerPoint. Not all the passages are on the PowerPoint, but some are. Um, but it's about the, when this message that I did years ago. It's about the names of Christ. And, you know, today when we think about names, we, people give children names for a variety of reasons. And I would have supposed that all through lifetime, there's always been some names that are just kind of out there. A little strange, you know. But that's true today more than ever, it seems like. But people do it for a lot of reasons. Some parents like to use names that are chosen by how it sounds. How does it go together? You know, that's kind of what my mother wanted to do. My middle name's Alan because she thought that Terry Allen kind of went together, you know. And so... Um, that's what some parents do. Some of how it sounds. Some babies receive names that are inspired by the name of a friend or a famous person. You know, of course, it's very common to name a baby after someone in a family, such as a parent or a grandparent or an aunt and uncle. And uh, sometimes, expecting parents read multiple lists of names with the meaning of the that, with the name the meanings of the names attached, and that can be tedious and long. And if you're a new parent, you may have done that. There's a lot of names to choose from. And so some people take a lot of work in doing that. Um, in fact, um, the first time the Bible says that a man gave someone a name occurs in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20. And it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So Adam stated why he gave the name Eve to the first woman. Because, because she's the mother of all living. So that's what he named her. It was a reason behind that. There's also certain times in that God told a parent what to name a child. For instance, in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, But the angel said unto him, and of course that's the angel of the Lord, said to him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And of course that's John the Baptist. So sometimes God told people what to name someone, and we may, we may feel like God lays that on our heart today. You know, that we name a name because the Lord wants us to, or there's different reasons. But um, names and their meaning were very important in the period of time that we refer to as biblical times. In fact, there is one passage in Isaiah that lists five names that help describe our Savior. And that, of course, is um, Isaiah chapter 9, okay, or chapter 6. Um, I'm sorry, chapter 9 starts with verse 6. So I'm going, to read the, I'm going to read those verses there. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, 
For unto you a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth for even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So I chose this passage back then and again this time. You know, I just decided to preach this again because I haven't for a long time, 1985. So I haven't preached this particular message in a long time. But I think that when I'm talking of thinking about names, and these are five names in this little passage that we talked just read, uh, I think we should look at that for an encouragement. Because when we think about who God is, we ought to be encouraged and challenged. And if we don't know the Lord, we ought to be just convicted that we need to know somebody like that. And so these names have particular meanings, and they are very important. And so that's why I wanted to go to this passage. And so the first name in the passage is wonderful. That's the first thing that's given. And in his nature, this is talking about how is he wonderful? Well, he's, he's wonderful in his nature as God-man. That's different than any of the rest of us. There's not anyone else that can say they're God and they're man, but that Jesus Christ was. And Jesus Christ is, because he still lived, he's still alive, he still exists. He, he was of man, but he was also of, of God. And so it's, he's of his nature. And Isaiah chapter 7, verse, verse 14 is where we're told about this. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So Jesus had a human mother, but no human father. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so this name here means a lot to us. And so the, the word is wonderful. And he's wonderful in his nature. He's unique in his nature. No one else is like him. He's alone in this. There's other parts of the Godhead, but only the Son became born and became, came to earth and lived on earth. And I understand there's only one God and three persons in the Godhead. And I'm telling you, don't try to figure it out. It's not possible. There's many, many things in the Bible I cannot understand but I can believe it because God says it. And I'll just be honest with you. I'm very thankful that we serve a God we can't totally understand. If we could totally understand God, he wouldn't be much of a God because we're pretty simple-minded. So when we, when we come up to some people really get all bent out of shape and, oh, there's something I don't understand. I praise God that there's things I don't know about that I don't understand. I'm glad he's higher than I am. I'm glad my understanding is not like God's. I'm glad that God's understanding is better than mine. And frankly, I know a lot of you in here, and I'm glad that God's understanding is better than all of you that I know. You know, and so don't take that wrong. It's just God is unique, and the Son of God is unique. And so we all, his name is wonderful in his nature as God-man, as the God-man. It's also wonderful in his teaching. Jesus taught between, I looked this up, okay, and it's, it's between 35 and 40 parables that are recorded in the Bible. And I say that because the reading that I've done, writers disagree on what they call a parable. And some of them think it might be mentioned more than once. So we know there's at least 35, but not more than 40 is what I've read, parables. And if you're going to get all bent out of shape about whether it's 35 or 36 or 37, get over it. You know, we don't know everything, and so uh, I'm not going to try to claim that I do, but they, so I didn't try to recount to see if I could prove one or the other. I just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to take these experts' word at it, you know, between 35 and 40, close enough for me. 
A parable is a story with a spiritual meaning. And Jesus Christ was a great storyteller. You know, and so it's a good, great monophorus because how do we understand things that are, if they're, they're, we understand them better if they're told in words and sentences and events that we can understand. And so we can't understand everything that's spiritual, but we can understand life. And so when we hear, when we hear parables that are spiritual, that are stories with spiritual meanings, that should encourage us because there, it's something, it God's, it's God's way of giving us information that we need in a method or in a mode that we can understand. And that's his, this, it is, we know that the word of God is mysterious. By the way, I'm also glad that we can't read this one time and get it all. Amen. You know, this is not a comic book that you read once and you've got all there is to get. It's the word of God. And so I'm thankful that we have to dig into it and that we have to study it. That's a benefit to us because it draws us closer to the Lord. And you know what? We're, when, you're born, when you're first born again, you can absorb all of this. And when you're saved for many, many years, you still can absorb it all. Because you just study your entire life. You know, if there's never a time in life when we say, okay, I don't need to read the Bible anymore, I've got it. That's not, right, not going to happen. We need to be in God's Word continually, no matter how long we've read it, we still need to read it more. And so, Jesus Christ taught parables, and it was very beneficial. A parable is a story with a spiritual meaning. Some parables are recorded once and others repeated, so biblical scholars do not agree on the number. I just said that, okay? And Jesus taught us to love one another by example, so Lazarus is a good example. I'm going to go to the book of John, chapter 11, and read the passage there. We're going to read about eight verses there. And so if you'd like to turn to John, chapter 11, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's not hard to find in the New Testament. And so um, we'll go there and look at that. Um, this is a great story, one that everyone knows and has probably already heard. One of, our, one of our favorite stories, okay? And my point with this is, with this story here, is that Jesus did teach us to love one another, and he did that by his example. Time and time and time again, he shows his love to us. This is one of the stories that he does. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary, and his sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, him whom thou lovest is sick. And isn't that some, a, a nice statement that, that the person that you love is sick? That could be said about every single one of us because God loves us all. Okay? But he says, Lord, behold whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister Lazarus. So that's where we get this. That's why he's responding. Is he wants to do something that, that will teach people, but he also wants to show his love to these two ladies. Because, and he says that, you know, they, that he loved them. And so... He says in verse 6, When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. And can you imagine how on edge they must have been? Because, you know, when we ask the Lord for something, we want answers immediately. Don't we? Do you, do you say, okay, Lord, just take your time on this one. I don't really care. I mean, we want answers, and we want them now. And that's just human nature. So I just can't imagine. 
Well, Lord, I know you love us, but don't you think we ought to be going? You know, he's sick. Don't you think we ought to go? I mean, we ought to be, we ought to be doing something. You know, we're just waiting around for a couple of days. And so I don't know. I, they probably, I, I don't know how they must have felt, but I think I would be like a little on the anxious side. And so then it says, his, uh, then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. And goest thou thither again? said, last time you were there, they wanted to stone you, and you want to go back to that same place? You know, that's not something that is real attractive to most of us. Well, let's go back to where we were persecuted. That's not exactly what you want to do, you know. But in verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of his sleep. So that's the purpose. And of course we know what happens. He did, and you know, he, Lazarus come forth, and he did, and what a remarkable story it is. But the point is with this is that Jesus did that, not for his love for Lazarus, but for his love of his sisters. You know, and so it was for, because of his love for them. And so Jesus taught, he teaches us to be loving to other people. And he taught us, he teaches us of one another, but yet he did it by an example. Now, Jesus also, in this particular this case here, Jesus answered the Pharisees' accusations because now the Pharisees, they're not willing to accept what Jesus does. They don't like what he does. They don't like his actions and what he does. And so they like to make accusations against him all the time. So Jesus answered those accusations concerning the law. And so look at uh, John chapter 8. This is a little before the time, but this shows what the Pharisees do. He just... He just, they just hate what Jesus does. In John chapter 8, uh, verse 1, it says, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. See, they don't like it when God forgives. You know, that's what, God shows his love in lots of ways, in ways that we may not approve of. Or the human humans may not, but he does what he wants to do. So he says, a woman taken adultery, and when they had set her in midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken the adultery, the very act. Now Moses in, in the law commanded us that she should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have accusation and might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking, he lifted up himself and said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. So see, he, he's always loving and cares for other people. And that's the point that I'm trying to make with this particular thing here in his teaching. Jesus continually taught us how to show love to other people. He went, to, he went and did a thing that they, he knew that people wouldn't like, but he wanted to show love. And aren't you, he loved Lazarus and he loved his sisters, but they were godly. He also loves the sinner. And you know what? Every single one of that better thank God that he loves sinners. Because we're all guilty. There's not a one of us that we can say, I know why God loved me. We're all guilty. And even after, even after we're saved, if it weren't for the blood of Christ to, to wash our sins and where we can ask for forgiveness... Even if we're saved, we're not very lovable sometimes. You know, we're, we're like a rebellious child at times. 
but it doesn't change God's love for us. And so this is, you know, he does things that he wants to do because of his love for people. And so he's wonderful in his teaching. He's wonderful in, his, in what he does, his actions. And so another name that he has that's taught, that says here is he's a counselor. And God gave counsel to the doctors in the temple when, when he was 12. Uh, go back to Luke chapter 2. You know, and so you know the story, but we're still going to look at it. Uh, Luke chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 41. And so when we talk about being a counselor, it's... Do you ever go to your... Now, this is a different kind of doctor, okay? Because in the temple, we're not talking about physicians. But there are people that are learned in the scriptures. Okay? And so when we talk about that, uh, it's not a physician, but, but let's apply it to a physician. Wouldn't you, like to, wouldn't you like to have your physician be able to tell him some things and get some right answers from him? Or, or what about, though, other counselors? You know, in this world, counseling can be a very dangerous area in life. Because if you go to someone that doesn't, doesn't believe in using godly counsel, you're in trouble right away. It just is a fact. You know, we need to, and I'm not saying that there's not times that we need certain kinds of medicines or anything like that. I'm just saying we need to be careful who we listen to. And with Jesus, we need to, we need to listen to the word of God. So he says, counselor, look at Luke chapter 2, verse 41. It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. And of course, why would they be suspicious he wouldn't be with them? This is the perfect child. Jesus Christ was not a sinner. He didn't ever disobey his parents. So why wouldn't they expect him to be along? That would be a normal thing. Okay, there's a crowd of us traveling together. But they didn't realize he wasn't with them. And that may sound kind of silly. But I've known parents that have left their kids places. You know, that they forgot they were there. And uh, it's happened when I was a principal. There'd be times, oh, I forgot. And that's why I carried a, got a cell phone so I could call parents and tell them where their kids were, you know, at times. I mean, so it sounds kind of silly, but it does happen at times. So, you know, they went up and they didn't realize that Christ was with it, it says. But in verse 44, it says, But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey... And they sought him among the kinsfolks and acquaintance. When they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the midst of the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou dealt with this? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And then he said unto them, How is it that she sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? And of course, that father's business was not being a carpenter. It was doing what God the Father wanted him to do. So, and it's, it's, he's, he's, he's a wonderful in his counsel. A man that can sit with a, a man, a little boy that can sit with the doctors and explain things to them, ask them questions, then explain things to them with great answers. Jesus Christ was an amazing counselor, and he still is. Uh, the, the Gospels give numerous accounts of Jesus teaching and answering questions of believers and scoffers. And in James chapter 1, verse 5, I'll just, I'll just read that to you. If any of you lack in wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And so if we lack in wisdom, 
which we do usually, where do we go? We turn to God. And you can go to godly counsel, but there's nobody that beats God, God's counsel. And so if you, if you get somebody's advice, weigh it. In your mind, wait, is this, a godly, is this person godly? Is it godly counsel? Does it fit the, with God's word? And so let's just understand that God will help us. But let's also understand that God does use people to help people. You know, just because it says that let him ask of God that give to all men liberally, that doesn't mean we should never get advice. Because God uses godly people to help other people. And sometimes we need to accept that. Sometimes people ask for advice and they don't really want it. And they don't, want, they don't even care what the answer is going to be. They know they don't like it ahead of time. And so Jesus was a wonderful counselor. And that's what one of his names. His uh, third name is Mighty God. And this is really neat because this is shown by what he was able to do. Think about this for just a minute. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 4. We're just going to read the first three verses there. But if you'd like to go there... Um, Soon by what he's, he's able to resist Satan after fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. Okay, so again, I'm going to go, go back to Matthew chapter 4. And I'm going to read there just the first three verses of chapter 4. Although this story really goes through verse 11. It says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So this is what took place, is that Satan was trying to get Jesus to answer him, to do things for him. And Satan, of course, said, um, but he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So when we talk about this, with, when he talks about this, the mighty God, is that, you know, he's, he's able, when he's tired and he's hungry and Satan attacks him at a low spot, he's able to withstand Satan's attacks. And you know what? Because Christ can, because the Holy Spirit indwells us, we can do the same thing. We need to understand that when, times, when there are times in our life that we're a little bit suspect to where Satan might think he can attack us. You know, when you get down, it's easy to serve God on the high spots isn't it? When things are going great, your health is great, your family is great, the job is great, finances are great, those are easy times to serve God. But how about when things get kind of rough? What happens then? Well, for Jesus, this was a kind of a low spot. He's hungry, he's tired, and Satan thinks he can attack him. But again, Jesus Christ is called the mighty God. One of the reasons is, is because he can triumph over Satan and he can, he can overthrow Satan, you know, and he can be stronger than Satan. And so this is, this is an important part of what Christ does. He's able to uh, show Satan that he is still the son of God. And so Satan went beyond this. He offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world. And he said, Jesus, you bow down to me and, I'll, and, and you worship me and I'll give you everything. You know, sometimes we think Satan is kind of sly. He's really pretty stupid. When you think about it, he can't win. Why would, why would the God of the universe bow down to somebody to give him, because this man says he'll give him what he already has? It just doesn't even make sense, you know? But again, Satan tries to attack, and if Satan, if Satan really had the sense to come out of a rain, he'd never rebel against God. But you know what? We could say the same thing about us. 
If we had the sense to come in out of the rain, would we ever purposely disobey God? But we do. We do. I mean, we all have. And at times we all do. There's times that any of us are susceptible to do something that we know is wrong just because we want to. And we kind of rationalize, whether, you know, I'm a pretty good guy, or, well, maybe just this one time, it won't, it won't hurt. But the problem is, when we sin, sin always scars our life. There's always a consequence. Even if it's not made public, there's scars that we bear because we have sin in our life. And so we ought to learn just to obey God. But anyway, the mighty God, he was able to withstand these temptations and not, not fall through them. Also, Jesus is the mighty God because he will have victory over death and hell. Revelation 1.18 says this, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Isn't that exciting? That is exciting to know that we have a Lord who has the keys to everything, the keys of death and hell, and there's not anything that he can't overcome. Every, anything that comes our ways, in our way, he can be, he, we can count on him to help us through it. And any kind of trouble, any kind of sorrow, any type of downfall in our life, we're able, God, God is able to get us through those things. He's able to give us victory. There's not anything in life that God can't give us victory over if we'll let him. You know, when we, have, when we have problems and things and we hold on to them, that's not helpful. And I, there's not anybody perfect. There's not anybody that doesn't fall at times. There's not anyone that doesn't have troubles at times. There's not anyone, there's not anyone alive. You might argue with me this. I don't think there's anyone alive today, even believers, that don't sin on purpose at times. We just do. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we must be slow learners. You know? <laughs> Are we all kind of ignorant in this area? But we do. We all sin when we know not to. And so, but at least we have a God that's forgiving. We have a mighty God help us through these things. We have a mighty God that can give us victories, that can restore us when we have troubles in our life. Not only is called the mighty God, the fourth one is he's called the everlasting father. Okay? And Christ is everlasting. means there's not the beginning or an end of him. Uh, Revelation 1.8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So this is a great verse because this explains to us that Jesus Christ really is God. One of the many places. But this is a great verse for that because he makes it very plain. I am God. You know, I am Alpha. I'm the beginning and the ending. And that's which, which is, which was, and which is to come, Almighty. All the time in God's, in Jesus Christ's life, he's almighty. All the time in his existence, which is eternal, he's been almighty. When he was on the cross, he was almighty. When he was in the grave, he was almighty. There's not a time when he's a little baby, he was almighty. When he stayed behind in Jerusalem, he's almighty. Jesus Christ has always been God. And he's always, he says, I'm, I'm, am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am not dead any longer. So, Jesus Christ will have victory over death and of hell, and it's because of him that we have victory. And so Jesus Christ is the mighty God. So we serve a mighty God. And what a, you know, that's something that we sing about, we rejoice in. But it's not just God the Father, it's not just God the Holy Spirit, it's God the Son. They're all God, and they're all mighty. And so it's just the, one of the names of God. So, uh, and again, that's what, he's the everlasting Father. He is the Lord. Even, you know, um, there's, a, there's an old song 
that some of you may not have ever heard, but most of you probably have. It was a song was, I'm, a, I'm my own grandpa. <laughs> and so, you know, and I've known one person like that, that because of whacked up life, he married somebody and he became his own grandfather, you know, by marriage. And so that's a whacked up life. But, you know, I always think about that when we think about this, which was and which is. And so, but to God really is, you know, so it's not like some silly song. God really is God the Father. God really is. Jesus Christ really is. They're all the same. And again, I said this from the very start. Don't try to, don't try to believe, don't believe it, but don't try to explain it. Don't think you can explain it to anyone. We cannot understand those concepts because we're not God. But we can believe it because they all claim to be God. They said there's one God, so we have to believe it. So he's, the, uh, he's also the everlasting Father. And uh, Jesus said that him and the Father were one. In John chapter 10, verses 20 through 27 through 30, says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, that they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Can't say it any stronger than that. They're the same. You know, and when we're believers, we're in his hand and no one can take it away. No one can cause us to lose our salvation. It cannot happen. If we're truly born again, we cannot become unborn. You know, it's, and it's not because of us, it's because of what God has done for us. When God says eternal, he means it. When God says everlasting, he means it. Sometimes we're, you know, well, I'll do this as long as I can. No, for God is forever. What God has done for us and our salvation, it's forever. Because he's forever. And so, um, there's, he's, he's just that strong. He's one. Also, there has never been a stronger parental love than that of our everlasting Heavenly Father. You know, hopefully you've loved your children. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, you loved your parents. Both ways, you know. And so, um, you know, um, pray for Vicki Pash. Just reminded, I meant to say this earlier, but you know, Vicky's mother passed away on Saturday of last weekend, and her funeral was just was uh, funeral was yesterday, Tuesday. And so, pray pray for Vicky Pash, you know, because it's a big loss for them. They uh, they chose to live by each other. They were next door neighbors for years. As it really is, I I've known the Pashes a long time. I don't remember when they didn't live there, next door to their mother. So she has lost a great friend, and we really need to pray for her. But thank the Lord for eternal life. You know, and so really, and when talking to Vicki through this last few days, uh, while she is sad that her mother's gone away from her, she's actually thrilled that her mother doesn't have pain and sorrow and that she's, in the, she's with the Lord. And it's just so, it's so encouraging for believers when some, a loved one goes to heaven. Because when someone passes away and goes to heaven, that's our goal. And they've obtained it. You know, and so I've never been to the place yet that I prayed for the Lord to kill me. But I sure have begged him to come back. Haven't we all done that? I don't want to die. I want to go to heaven. I want him to come and get us. You know, if he asked me, I'd say, come right now, Jesus. You know, now when I was young, I wasn't always such, I wasn't always so ready. I used to think, you know, I hope the Lord doesn't come back until I do this or this or this. And, 
But as I grew and matured, I said, I don't care what it is we haven't done in life. Nothing's going to be better than the Lord's return. And so, and that's what we all look forward to. But if the Lord doesn't come, we can still find comfort that a loved one, if they know the Lord, when they depart here, they're in heaven. And, you know, I've done a lot of funerals, as almost anybody that's been in ministry very long has done a lot. It is hard to do a funeral for someone that that our salvation is suspect or almost certain it didn't happen. You know, and I'm telling you, that's a tough, tough time to do a funeral like that. And I've done funerals like that that I'm confident people weren't saved or I didn't know. You know, when I lived in a certain town, sometimes I just be, when I lived in, when I was a pastor, sometimes they'd have me do a funeral just because they didn't have any preacher. And it's hard to do those kind of funerals when you don't know. You know, and so it's hard, it's hard to comfort someone if you don't know if their loved one's a believer or not. And so, by, because of what Christ has done for us, we know that we have that parental love, and there's never been a love stronger than God's love for us. And then the last name in this passage in, in this, in, that we read was the Prince of Peace. At the birth of Jesus, the angels announced his birth, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace will toward men. Peace, goodwill toward men. This is in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. You know, and so... What a glorious announcement of his, of his coming. That the Prince of Peace had come. Glory to God in the highest. And so he's called this Prince of Peace. And Christ can give peace to any individual. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God. And I think with peace with God means we can have peace even on this earth. Doesn't mean it's perfect peace yet. But... The Lord can give us peace with understanding that he can't give to other people that don't know him. Somebody that doesn't know Christ doesn't know about all these advantages a Christian has and what it's really like because they can't experience it unless you have have been there. Unless you know Christ, you can't experience some of these things. And so I'm just thankful for these names that we have. I'm thankful that Christ can meet any that person has. His name speaks to his character. He is wonderful. He is the counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. And he is the Prince of Peace. Then in order to receive the blessings described by Jesus' name, each individual must personally know Jesus by one other name that we have not really said tonight. And we need to know him by the name Savior. He's the man that's our Savior. Jesus Christ is the one that died for our sins. He's the one that paid the price. He's our Savior. Luke chapter 2, verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus, the, the, Jesus' life has meant more to this world historically than anything that's ever happened on this earth. And we still reap the benefits from that today. We can know Christ personally. So today, if you're not a believer... And most people here are, if not everyone, because it, we're at Wingland at church. But um, it's something that we need to really be sure of and know that we're a Savior, that He's our Savior, so that we can experience these things that He talks about. We can experience God in all these ways if we really trust Him. And He's just the ways that He speaks to us. And I'm thankful for that. And you should be thankful for that. But if, if today, if you don't know Christ, why not today? Why not, why not know him as Savior? So you can know that he's wonderful, that he's the Prince of Peace, 
that he's the mighty God, that he's this, our Savior, you know? And so that's being, that offer is always there. Let's bow for a word of prayer and get ready for just a verse of invitation. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you teach us in your word. Lord, we're thankful for the Bible that tells us about you. We're thankful about you for what you did for us. And Lord, we just ask that you would be with people today with whatever problems they have. Lord, since you are a great counselor, perhaps some need to come for counsel. Lord, some sometimes we're discouraged. Sometimes we need a mighty God to sustain us. But Lord, we always need a loving Savior. We just ask that you'd speak to us tonight. And Lord, we ask that tonight we might be encouraged by your word. And Lord, we just ask that if there's a need that needs to be met, you'd meet that need tonight. We thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for my church family tonight, the ones that are here. As it should bless at this time, please let me pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for his help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?